electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but really to put it in context, explain days like today. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Welcome to the American Industrial Renaissance. Look, on another bad day for the stock market, Dow losing 368 points, S&P plunging 1.48%, and the NASDAQ going once again, doing what it's been doing, down more than 2%. (laughs) On the usual Fed worries, I want to focus on the greatest untold story of the present moment. Ah. I like these down days to think about some things that are a little more positive. Everybody else is negative. See, not that long ago, America had lost its leadership in manufacturing. Sure, we had Hollywood. We knew how to make soda, processed food. But in manufacturing, we were eclipsed by Germany, then Japan, and then ultimately China. We lost our industrial leadership in pretty much every category, save perhaps aerospace. But those days, those days are over. Oh, you sure don't notice it when you have a really ugly day like today. But the United States has been reclaiming its industrial preeminence in sector after sector after sector. It... it, it just was obscured by Wall Street's now defunct love affair with high growth tech stocks. Now that we've fallen out of love with tech, the industrial renaissance has become the key to picking winners in this market. Let's start with the best. Let's start with Tesla. It's been years since an American company could make a car that rivals what the Germans or the Japanese could put together. But now Tesla's upending everything, designing the best electric vehicles that need zero advertising and immensely profitable. Not only that, Elon Musk has already made his company into the best electric vehicle maker in China and Germany, too. Oh, he's running rings around those guys. No one disputes that Tesla's the best automaker in the world anymore. And if you listen to Musk's conference call last night, you'll see how he's accelerating success right now. Better cars, lower costs, and the best prospects for self-driving technology out there. Thanks to Elon Musk, the U.S., amazingly, has auto bragging rights again. That's why Tesla rallied $31 today after an amazing quarter. It, even as the average is rolling over. Next up, America used to lead in steel. Then the Japanese steel industry got rebuilt after World War II using all of our best technology, and then they surpassed us. Then Brazil, then Russia, then India, then China and South Korea. 
Our government allowed anyone to dump steel into our markets. They didn't care. But once former President Trump cracked down on foreign dumping, our steel industries made a miraculous comeback. Nucor, our best steel maker, is now the leader in quality at any price. In the old days, Chinese steel makers could undercut Nucor because these companies di- didn't care about turning a profit. They were basically government-sponsored jobs programs. But now that the government has leveled the playing field, Nucor's manufacturing prowess has allowed it to reclaim the mantle of the biggest and the best. Hence, how its stock could rally six bucks today on top of an already huge run after an amazing quarter with a statement about the best yet to come. How about chemicals? After World War II, we briefly became the king of the, of the chemical industry worldwide. But then Germany rebuilt theirs, led by BASF and Bayer. Meanwhile, our chemical titans like Dow, DuPont, and Monsanto, they fall, fell in hard times. Now everything is reversed. Uh, Bayer sw- uh, swallowed Monsanto for $63 billion and then fell prey to a huge number of Monsanto's lawsuits. BASF is headquartered in a country hostage to Russian natural gas. Oh, that's playing with fire if you're a chemical company. But Dow has now asserted itself as the world's leader in commodity chemicals, thanks in part to the fact that the United States is blessed with virtually endless supplies of natural gas. The numbers Dow just reported this morning were extraordinary, even as CEO Jim Fitterling has been doubted at every turn by everybody except for me. I'm blown away by this one. It hits 52-week high today. Dividend yield is still more than 4%. Incredible story. All right, how about oil? There was a time when America ruled the oil world with the best fields, the best modernization. John D. Rockefeller built Standard Oil, pioneered everything from drilling to transportation to gas stations. Even when Standard Oil got broken up, its former components were unassailable. But then OPEC emerged in the 70s, and the Middle East began to dominate the oil industry. The United States became an also-ran mendicant, hostage to the whims of OPEC. Then OPEC Plus, which also includes our nemesis, Russia. We went from being a net exporter to a net importer to a giant importer with the loss of almost all energy security. That all changed when we embraced the fracking revolution. In less than 10 years, our country's oil output doubled, and our natural gas industry is now second to none. We're now the leading exporter of liquefied natural gas because of visionaries like Sharif Suki, frequent guest of the show, who spent years building out infrastructure necessary to transport this stuff overseas. Suddenly, America is really the only counterbalance to Europe's addiction to Russian natural gas. We're the savior. If we just keep building out these liquefied natural gas terminals, we'll eventually be able to wean them off Putin's petroleum products. Meanwhile, our oil and gas technology, it's the best in the world. Nobody comes close. Our majors like Chevron and Exxon are far superior to their colleagues in Europe who have nothing to write home about. These stocks get hit periodically. Chevron was hit today. But what's happening here is long-term, not short. Weakness should be used to buy, not sell. You should be hoping Chevron comes to the 150s. Next, I know our aerospace industry has struggled over, well, ever since those terrible Boeing 737 MAX fell out of the sky. And that was because of manufacturing problems. But the rest of our aerospace companies are very strong, from GE to Raytheon, forming the aerospace business of United Technologies, Pratt & Whitney. Those two companies make the best jet engines in the world. No one questions that. No one questions that. I want Boeing to make a comeback. My trust owns it, but it's still in the penalty box. So I think it's on the cusp of an FAA approval for a wider body jet that will be in tremendous demand. Now that the suddenly robust airlines are desperate for more capacity, go listen to those calls. That'll tell you about it. Hey, how about machinery? In the old days, Caterpillar would sink or swim with the broader economy. Usually sank more than swim. But I believe a new, more disciplined Caterpillar could take on its Asian rivals if only our government, the knuckleheads, would level the playing field and not let them dump all that stuff so cat can shine. Then there's deer, which never really lost its lead at all. It's now pulling away as the ag business explodes. I think both Deere and Cat have the capital discipline and the manufacturing prowess to hold their heads up as the leaders in farm and construction equipment. The ag business, sadly, because of Ukraine, may be the best 
it's been in my whole life. Now, there are some industries that American companies never stop dominating. We still own soft drinks. We have many consumer packaged food companies like J&J or Procter & Gamble that stride the world with their strength. Although Procter had fallen behind Unilever and the rest of the world with emerging markets, abandoning Procter aggressively. But that's over, too. If you listen to Procter's conference call yesterday, you know that the days of being a market share donor are over. It's bringing these emerging markets back to the Cincinnati fold. What a quarter that was. Now, I don't want to slight software, the crown jewel of American economy, but tech companies don't really manufacture. They don't make it here, uh, with the exception of some semiconductor capital equipment cut plays like Lamb Research. Otherwise, it's best to go to Taiwan Semi, where the actual chips are made. They got, boy, that's got to change. Or we could have a real security risk on our hands. Fortunately, the government's plowing a lot of money into domestic security manufacturing. Can't do it fast enough. I wish I had explained to you that Taiwan Semi might be the single most important entity in the world when it comes to our economic security. Only a handful of people believe me. Here's the bottom line. The American manufacturing renaissance has arrived. You don't see it on a day like today, but if you want leadership, if you want companies that make things and sell them at a profit while returning capital to shareholders, look no further than our great American manufacturers. Their stocks are fantastic places to be when the world has turned against high Barely or totally unprofitable growth. Let's go to Dave in Florida. Dave. Hey, Jim. Great to talk to you. Thanks for taking uh, my call. Uh, thanks for calling in, Dave. What's up? Hey, listen, in the beginning of February, I bought this stock and I'm down 18% with it. Buy, sell, or hold Adobe. All right. Now, Adobe is one of these stocks that's completely caught up in the Fed raising rates. Uh, because it's not like during an inflationary period. You are going to have to stay the course because it is a great company. Let's go to Joe, my home state of New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Hope all is well. Oh, going well. How about you? Very good. Good. Very good. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. It's great. All right. Okay. I've uh, owned Visa for years, and I noticed uh, a lot of the restaurants are adding a 4% surcharge to all the credit card charges. How's this going to affect the uh, Visa's uh, top and bottom line? Well, Should I, I continue I can, to I can tell you, as someone who's been in that business, there is a, a resistance to what Visa and MasterCard are doing. Uh, and the best way to deal with that is to be in Apple Pay, which means being in the stock of Apple. How about Doug in Ohio, please? Doug. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Doug. How are you? Pretty good. Um, I have no complaints. Uh, I, my question is about Danaher. I purchased it at 239. Today it was 278. Highs touching t- uh, 334. Do you feel you know there's more upside? To Absolutely. This they had 12 percent organic growth, which is the best of any of the manufacturers I deal with. I've got to tell you, we bought a little bit for the Chapel Trust. They had a big piece. If you go watch our 10 our 10:20 morning meeting. The Danner call, if it's, look, if, if the market hadn't collapsed, Danner was screaming higher. They did a great job. 12% organic growth for that kind of biological machinery that they have is fantastic. All right, guys, the American manufacturing renaissance, it's here. If you want leadership and companies that make things and sell them at a profit while returning capital shareholders, look no further than these. Oh, man, money tonight. The tech apocalypse continues. So how should you evaluate some of these names now that they've fallen from the clouds? I'm revealing a new rule that might help you figure out where you can start buying. Then Carvana collapsed today after earnings. So has the stock officially been put in park? I'll give you my take. And then, hey, you want something sweet and bite-sized that you can own right now? 
Huntington Bank shares reported top and bottom line beat for the first quarter. They got a good yield, and I think that this regional bank may have what it takes. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Now that we're five months into the tech apocalypse, what do we do with all the high-growth software names that we've pretty much been ignoring ever since they went out of style? I'm adamant that it's still way early to buy some of these stocks. High-growth tech simply doesn't work at this stage of the business cycle when inflation's worrying and the Federal Reserve is tightening aggressively. Better to buy the kinds of stocks I talked about at the top of the show. This kind of moment does not work, okay? Never has, never will. Wall Street simply won't pay as much for their future earnings in an environment with high inflation and rising interest rates. And these stocks are all about the prospect of future earnings. But eventually, even these hated stocks, formerly hi-fi and tech stocks, will get so cheap that they're going to find a bottom. Well, I don't see that happening until the Fed is further along in its tightening cycle and it just started. These things tend to sneak up on you. They happen when you least expect it. That's why I want you to be prepared for the moment when fast-growing software stocks actually do become viable again. And you do that by preparing a shopping list. 
So how do we evaluate the cloud-based software plays, the hardest ones to try to understand? In the old halcyon days for tech, we used what was known as the rule of 40. You take the growth rate, then add the operating margin, and if the sum of the two was greater than 40, just addition, you knew you had a quality business on your hand. The idea here is that a software stock either needs incredibly fast revenue growth or genuine profitability. They could get away with negative margins as long as they're expanding rapidly enough. So the rule of 40 captures both ways to win in software, or at least what used to be both ways to win. There's one huge flaw with the rule of 40 in this new environment. The market, as I say over every single night, has zero patience for companies that aren't making money. Doesn't matter how fast you're growing, unprofitable businesses have become untouchable. I say it in the lightning round every night. Case in point, we just spoke to Twilio, a fine company, last week. And they have 54% revenue growth. Operating margin came in at negative 3.2%. In the old days, Twilio would pass the rule of 40 test and been a good stock to own. In this new market, that doesn't matter one bit because it's unprofitable. And that's the end of it. Hence why the stock has sunk from 412 last summer to just under $125 today. And I can tell you its business is substantially better. That's why tonight I want to roll out Kramer's alternative rule of 40. That's going to help us prepare to find bottoms. We're looking for software stocks that have more than 20% revenue growth, okay, and more than 20% operating margins. That's our filter to identify the cloud names that might be worth buying once the dust settles and what's becoming a catastrophic decline for a lot of tech stocks. So who passes the test? I've identified eight cloud names. There's, there's about 200 of them that belong in your shopping list. Not now, but for the future when it's safe to buy any of these stocks again. Now, first, we've got two well-known names. We've got ServiceNow and Salesforce.com, two of our cloud kings with extremely durable businesses. They're the safest bets in the cloud. It's worth noting that both ServiceNow and Salesforce made their lows well before the rest of the NASDAQ. Both companies reported solid top and bottom line beats for the fourth quarter, too. Although Salesforce earnings guidance, I admit, was a little soft. You know how much I like the company. Uh, to that, I'd say these guys are engaging in their long-held practice of UPOD. Mark Benioff, co-CEO, loves to underpromise and then overdeliver. Again, as much as I like Salesforce and ServiceNow, there's absolutely no rush to buy either one of them at this moment. Now, we want to buy Salesforce, a long-standing position for the charitable trust, but we want to be very careful here about these kinds of stocks. I want the position to be bigger, but I'm waiting. I think you'll probably get better prices before Wall Street realizes that inflation is peaking and then become viable. Again, club members, you'll know. You'll watch our 1020 meeting. Uh, morning meeting that we do every day, or you'll get a, a, a bulletin. Second, there's a company I don't talk about much at all. It's called Zoom Info, not to be confused with Zoom Video. Zoom Info is a cloud-based platform that provides salespeople with information about their potential customers. It's a good way to get business. This one actually came out as the top scorer in our new Rule of 40 exercise. 36% sales growth, 40% plus operating margin. Very nice profitability. If you don't remember, Zoom Info was the company that effectively reopened the IPO market after the COVID crash when it came public in June of 2020. I never recommended it because I thought it was too expensive right out of the chute. Now, though, the stock has come down 30% from its highs. Again, I think you can get a better price if you're patient. But I got to tell you, I'm now watching this Zoom info because it's the best on our list. 
Third, we've got two that people just seem to confuse all the time, and they shouldn't. Paycom Software and Paylocity Holdings. It's a pair of of payroll human capital management software companies. Paycom has stronger profitability. Paylocity has faster revenue growth, although they both pass our new rule of 40 test. Honestly, though, if you want to play on payroll and human capital management, you know what? I'm talking about one I just talked about last night. You got to get paychecks, right? Paychecks has slower growth than these two, but also has a much cheaper stock, and it pays you a nice 1.9% dividend yield. Unlike these cloud plays, I'm confident recommending paychecks right here, right now. Fourth is one that was always way too expensive to talk about to you, Pubmatic. It's an advertising technology play. You can think of it as a smaller version of another company I'm not talking about much anymore, Trade Desk. Pubmatic passes the new rule of 40 tests with 25% sales growth and 25% operating margins. Add them up, more than 40, boom. Most importantly, the stock has come down huge. This thing came public a little over a year ago at 20 and then it quickly spiked to 77, and now it's falling back to 23 and change. At these levels, the valuation is getting enticing. It trades at less than 27 times next year's earnings estimates. If Pubmatic were to fall a few more bucks from here, it would also pass the growth at a reasonable price test. That's the GARP test that we've been using to find buys now. So put it on the shopping list and wait for the moment. Finally, there were two names on this list that we weren't familiar with at all. That's why one of the reasons I love to do screens. I learn and learn and learn about companies I didn't know. One of them is called Definitive Healthcare, and the other is called Clearwater Analytics, both of which came public last September, right before the IPO market imploded. Definitive Healthcare aggregates billions of data points to help healthcare companies make commercial decisions, like where to price a drug or a medical device. I thought it was pretty good. Clearwater Analytics makes analytics software for professional investors, helping them with accounting, reporting, compliance, and risk management. Both stocks have been crushed since they came public right before the Nasdaq started rolling over. Unlike the other names I've mentioned, these two are only profitable on an adjusted basis. When you use the gap numbers, Clearwater is only breaking even and Definitive Healthcare is losing money. So I want to take a closer look before I pound the table on either one. But I think we've got to do some homework on it now. I love that Definitive Healthcare or Clearwater analysts on the show so we know more, often the best way for me to get comfortable. And it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get it right, but I try to get comfortable. Here's the bottom line. I still think it's too soon to buy the faster-growing software space. It's just horrible out there. But with our modified rule of 40, you can identify the profitable ones that could be worth picking at when we get closer to washing out all the weekend tech sellers. And believe it or not, it does happen. Mad Money is back in. Right. Coming up, there's pain at the pump. How about down at the old local car vending machine? Kramer checks under the hood of a stock that may be stuck in neutral. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This market is totally hostage to inflation. We're just waiting for these relentless price increases to peak, which is why we need to focus on potential leading indicators that might be able to predict where inflation's headed. Give us a head start. Lately, on this show, we've been using used car prices because skyrocketing used car prices are what predicted the current inflation explosion to begin with. Last week, we talked, to Car- uh, we talked about CarMax. It was very interesting because it's a struggling chain of used car dealers that's seeing major demand destruction, in part because its high prices are finally driving away possible buyers. You say, I'm not paying that. Last night, we got another update on the industry when we got results from Carvana. Oh, they come on the show a lot. It's a digital used car retailer that lets you buy vehicles online, then pick them up from a gigantic automated garage, basically used car vending machines, or they simply have them delivered to your home. I warned you away from Carvana last week because it's exactly the kind of unprofitable company that absolutely does not work in the current environment. Throwing a troubled used car business, oh man, serious problems. Sure enough, Carvana stock has been hammered. It dropped 9% yesterday going into the quarter, a sure sign that somebody realized something was very wrong. Then Carvana reported last night, and it was a real doozy, which is why the stock plunged another 10% today. This one is just a total house of Pain. The house of pain. All right, what was wrong in the quarter? Oh, I got a lot. Fortunately, I got some time here. Well, Carmona's sales came in better than expected. Oh, I like that up 56% year over year. That was all about higher average selling prices, up 33.4%. Just like we saw with CarMax, those sky-high prices are driving away potential buyers. That's why Carvana's unit sales came in weaker than expected, 105,000. Street was looking for 109,000. Ouch. At the same time, the gross profit came in much weaker than expected. This is really key. It's down 12% per year. The key metric, though, the most important one, the gross profit per unit. You might think that would be doing very well, given the huge year-over-year price increases in used cars, correct? But Carvana's gross profit per unit was down 22.5% year-over-year, down 38% versus the previous quarter. That's disastrous. That's not just weaker than anticipated. That's terrible. Let me put this in perspective. When CarMax saw its gross profit per unit shrink by just 2% versus the previous quarter, that was seen as a gigantic negative. But Carvana, that number's down 38%. Stunningly bad. Why? Because the cost of acquiring used cars has also gone through the roof. Naturally, that huge gross profit uh, per unit misflew through the rest of the income statement. It was the most important thing to curb. Uh, Carvana experiencing much larger than anticipated losses. The analysts were looking for them to lose at buck forty-four per share. Instead, they lost an astonishing two dollars and eighty-nine cents per share. 
Banking matters worse. Carvana actually pulled its full-year forecast that management originally issued in late February. Hasn't been two months and they're throwing away the guidance. While management had some positive commentary in the conference call, companies don't pull their forecasts unless they're feeling real nervous about the future. Carvana pointed to, and I quote, current industry trends impacting customer affordability, high-use vehicle prices, rapid movements in interest rates, rapid increases in fuel fuel prices, and other macroeconomic uncertainty, end quote to explain why they're no longer providing specific numeric guidance for 2022. I was looking for, like, maybe a total clips of the sun in there, too. Going into more specifics, in February, Carvana said that they get their gross profit per unit back above 4000 at some point in the last three quarters of 2022. That sounds good. Now they're saying, uh, well, that will be pushed back a few quarters. That's not good. In response, this is really fascinating. I need you to understand this stuff. Carvana's stock initially collapsed in after-hours trading. After closing at $92 yesterday, it plummeted. I was watching it. It plummeted down to 70 It's lowest at 4.45 p.m. However, the stock quickly reversed and rallied violently higher. Just after 5 p.m., Carvana was back in the high 80s. At one point, it briefly went to the triple digits. By the time after-hours trading came to an end at 8 p.m., it was back at 96 stocks. I mean, 96 bucks. And, uh, now, what was really, uh, take a look at this, when I was trading for the quarter. So it went down here because people didn't do their homework, right? They didn't wait for the whole call. Then you started hearing the call, and then it went like this, then it went like this. And then, you know, this, these are where idiots bought. Maybe they held. This is where smart people bought, and maybe they flipped. So what the heck was the rebound about? Simple. At 445, Carvana announced that they'd be raising $4.275 billion across three separate transactions. They're selling $1 billion in common stock, $1 billion in preferred stock, and also offering $2.275 billion worth of senior unsecured notes to 2030. Normally, this kind of fundraise would not be taken as a positive catalyst, right? And they're creating a whole new bunch of stock. That's bad news for existing shareholders who get diluted. However, Carvana's been dogged by liquidity worries. Because they offer financing to the customers and then package those loans into asset-backed securities, which then sell to investors. Unfortunately, used car-backed bonds haven't been selling too well of late. People are worried about the collapse of the car price. So when Carvana raises this money, it removes a major overhang. So what happened is people petrified that this thing's gone bad, but that right here, we know that they're going to have money. Even if it's money that comes out of your hide, at least they're going to have money. More importantly... Though CEO Ernie Garcia, been on the show many, many times, did something crazy, or at least sound kind of crazy. He announced that he and his family will be buying 432 million of the billion dollars in common stock that Carvana plans to sell. Talk about putting your money where your mouth is, right? I'm mean, an incredible sign of confidence. Now I don't know if it's a wise decision. But I commend Ernie Garcia for believing in his own vision. In the end, though, Carvana stock wound up coming back today, down sinking 10%. Why? Well, because after all, the quarter wasn't really bad. In response to last night's events, the stock has been showered with estimate cuts, lowered price targets, although some analysts were more sanguine on the situation than others. Some of the bulls who've been hanging on with buy recommendations that stock collapse finally threw in the towel and downgraded, uh, like uh, Evercore ISI analysts who took it from outperformed to inline. And you know what? I actually liked the Lenny Bruce of auto analysts. I like what, what Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas had to say. He's a free thinker. Uh, he, he, sometimes he's a little too out there for me. But anyway, for example, he's still got, amazingly, he's still got an overweight rating on Carvana with a $360 price target. I wish I were taller because I'd share where it is. 
I think that's lunacy. I thought a lot of what Lenny Bruce did was lunacy, but in the end, I kind of liked him. Now, uh, Jonas basically called this capital raise a Rorschach test. So he's got to throw some Freud in there, too. It's, some t- it's something both the bulls and the bears were expecting, and they're having very different interpretations of what it means. In the end, Jonas likes that Carvana bit the bullet and raised the money they needed. But it's not great that they're so desperate for cash. To me, what matters is in this market, there is zero tolerance for unprofitable companies. And Carvana just made it clear it will take them a heck of a lot longer to reach profitability than we thought. Well, I like that management's putting its money where its mouth is. The used car business is really struggling here now. And I bet it gets worse before it gets better. Remember, used cars and housing, two things that the Fed really wants to cool off. Here's the bottom line. I've been warning you away from Carvana for the better part of the year now. And so far, that's allowed you to sidestep an enormous decline. Given what we heard last night, I think there's more downside here. Even as I kind of think the long-term story is cool. But this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately market. And in the near term, I expect Carvana ain't going to do anything for you lately or otherwise. Jacob in North Carolina. Jacob. Jim Kramer, thanks for talking to me again. Absolutely. What's up? Yes, sir. Um, My question was about General Motors. Um, I had a question um, just like, do, is their biggest headwind the um, the high commodity prices of steel and other and other input, and do, or is it the semiconductor shortage? And do you see them that easing and some outperformance in the later half of the year? Uh, this is one of those. If you thought the Fed was going to be done tightening, you would say I'm in this one for double. I'm not kidding. Uh, Mary Barr's doing a terrific job. She's got great new cars and trucks. She's got a really good position when it comes to. Uh, I, you know, assisted, let's just say, full, full driven by not you cars. And she's got a Hummer that is just unbelievable. My wife actually taste tested. You know, she, she test drove it. And she thought it was amazing. Uh, she's not getting credit for any of this. None. I think that's crazy. Uh, I say give her a chance. But remember, the, the Fed has to stop raising rates. Matt and Oregon, Matt. Oh, darn. I'm sorry, Matt. Okay. Anyway, Carvana, after hours trading, what a tale. GM, wait till the Fed's done, but it's really good, and Mary Barr's doing a great job. I have been warning you away from this stock for the better part of the year, and I think there's even more downside still, even though you know, I actually like that kind of vending, vending machine story. All right, much more Mad Money, including my excuse with Huntington Bankshares. Now, here's one you can buy. The financials have kicked, have kicked off earnings season. I'm joining you the quarter with the region, regional bank CEO, and I got to tell you, it's a cheap stock. Then retail's been a real dog. But one fitness retailer's bucked the trend. Can you guess what it is? I'm revealing it. And I got to tell you, I think it could have a strong showing in all your calls. Rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This year, Wall Street was incredibly bullish about the banks because they can make fortunes when the Fed raises interest rates. But then the enthusiasm for the largest banks vanished because they all have investment banking business, and that's been awful. However, the regional banks don't have that problem, so we've been searching for potential winners in this new environment. Take Huntington Bank shares. That's the Columbus, Ohio-based regional bank. This morning, they reported a slightly better than expected quarter, though the stock didn't seem to get any credit for the results because the market was so lousy. So could this be a good opportunity to get into a well-run regional bank with a juicy 4.4% dividend yield? Reminds me of First Horizon, which you know got a bit because it didn't go up. Let's check in with Steve Steinauer. He's the chairman and CEO of Huntington Bank shares to get 
get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Steiner, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be with you again, Jim. Yo, I'm so glad you're on today, sir, because we have a very negative day. A lot of people are saying terrible things. Fed Chairman Jay Powell says, look, 50 basis points sounds like it's on the table. When I look at the way your, your balance sheet is set up, that to me says you could be making a lot more money than you currently are. Correct. Yes. And we can and we will if, if uh, the, the Fed dot map is pursued. Well, I mean, do you think that it's surprising when you, when you see something like this, knowing how good your book of business is, knowing how you're really not making a lot of bad loans, how you just got TCF, TC Financial, that people don't understand that this is the moment when Huntington shines? Well, I believe so. And we got a four and a half percent dividend yield on top of it. We've had a great quarter, good loan growth, deposit growth, great credit quality. Net interest income expansion, PPNR up 4% in the quarter. It's a really, really good quarter for us. And we've talked about momentum and we can see our way through this year well, with confidence. Is, yeah, you should be. I mean, one of the things, I mean, today we had a lot of talk about how used cars could be going down. We've been talking about Carvana. You are probably the most experienced used car lender in the country. Well, we're certainly one of them. We do a lot. We're a super prime car lender. So, we really don't uh, get impacted by what happens with used car valuations. We have a very low default rate. And so that, that we're a super prime lender that keeps us safe throughout cycles. We've seen this. We've, we publish our, our underwriting statistics and portfolio uh, uh, every quarter. So there's no mystery. There's 12 years of consistency. It's a two and a half year average life asset. And it will perform very well for us going forward, irrespective of what happens to used car prices. That's exactly what I thought. Now, you are in two of the markets I most want to be in, Minnesota and Colorado. Very big growth markets where the national guys are there, but I want a local bank feel. And that is now you guys. It is. And that's uh, local is an essential part of our strategies. That's how we go to market in these markets. And so we'll be a very large SBA lender. I think we're number four already in Minnesota. We just started. We closed last June the TCF acquisition. That was our entry into the market. We'll be number one in terms of SBA lending in both of those markets. And we'll do a lot of other business with small, medium-sized businesses, um, commercial, uh, larger commercial companies, commercial real estate, just a host of companies. It's our bread and butter. We, we, we try to do it very, very well. We're very focused on the customer and providing great service. And that's why we've been award-winning now for more than a decade in most of our business lines. Well, at the same time, there's something going on in your state of Ohio that I find very interesting. It's not just the fact that there have been surveys now that's showing you're, you've got the great place to locate Florida, uh, California, and then Cleveland. But there is an initiative that is actually taking, uh, really, really actually starting to get some uh, I would say some nationwide approval, which is what I'll call it the Intel initiative. You can call it the Commerce Department initiative to be able to put Greenfield Semiconductor Fabs. Now, this is something I would not expect in in Ohio. Uh, what do you offer that people feel uh, is the right place to put them? Well, I was out with some of our economic development people and, and an Intel team last night, and they uh, confessed that Ohio didn't even make the cutting list. We were an afterthought. And from May of 21 to the announcement, in record time, they became impressed with our willingness to do business, capacity to execute, and just the uh, raw material available, land, water, uh, tremendous quality of universities and colleges here in central Ohio. I liken this to Ford in Detroit many, many years ago. This is going to be uh, an earthquake seismic 
opportunity of economic development expansion in central Ohio, and I think for the Midwest generally. You know, I'm glad you said, look, I'm from Pennsylvania. And I never understand why people think that our, but you, you know, call them Rust Belt. The biggest employees in, in Philadelphia are all healthcare. And that's not Rust Belt. When I look at the book of business you guys have in Ohio, I see skilled workforce. I see great universities. I see people who want to go to work. I go out west, I see people who are, where works beneath them. I mean, to me, when you're making it, when you're in a fab and when you're building a fab, I don't want a Stanford Ph.D. That person's going to cost me too much. This is why this one made so much sense to me, because they have people like you who can make it happen. Well, they do. And the governor and, and, and the, the assembly here, the local economic development authorities and Jobs Ohio, there's a combination of collaboration that's just extraordinary. And so. $20 billion investment, start to finish is seven months. You, you rarely can see something like that. And, and to begin as an afterthought and end up as the finisher, uh, kudos to the team here. But there's a lot of other economic development activity going on. Intel's the, lo- the largest by far, $20 billion. And that's just the first two plants. There are another six plants in the drawings if the CHIP Act gets approved. And I think for national defense and, and security, that's an important element for our Congress to deal with in the near future. And if we you've been able to sell them, sell them on the idea, the kinds of chips you want are the kinds of chips that industrial America needs. Yes, okay, so high, high performance computing, whatever, but you know, when you're with the utility companies where you are, they are low cost providers. They can do solar, they can do wind, they can do what's necessary. And these other places are high cost providers. So, I mean, to me, it's a very inexpensive way to get a very good labor force uh, in a it, I think, a very livable area. So I don't know. Call me so positive on it. Well, in this location is serviced by very high, uh, two sets of very high KV lines. American Electric is, is headquartered in Columbus, and their transmission system is the biggest in the U.S. It happens to be located in New Albany, where these high-voltage KV lines uh, uh, converge. And that's why you're seeing Facebook do a, a, a second data center expansion in just two years in New Albany. There's a lot of activity in central Ohio. It's going to be a boom for the next decade. And we're the hometown bank. Well, look, I'm so thrilled for you. It, it just makes so much sense. People have forgotten things are a little bit too crazy in some parts of the country uh, where it's just too expensive to live anymore. I want to thank Stephen Steinauer, Huntington Bank Shares Chairman, President and CEO, HBN. This is what you buy in this market, guys. Good yield, solid growth. It doesn't you don't need to be down 25 percent on a day and still think it's a great thing. Like so many feel too many people feel with tech. Thank you so much. Great to see you on the show again. You too, Jim. Man, money's back here for the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, come to the lightning round. Jeff, Mohome Jeff. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, optimize RX Corporation. Go Sixers. Hey, I love that final shot with one second left. No, there's not enough there at that company. And I'll tell you why. Many, many competitors in that advice to consumers about doctor stuff. Can't go there. Allen in New Jersey. Allen. 
Hey, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Booyah, Pack. What's up? Hey, what do you think of American Airlines? I thought it was a good quarter. I mean, I have to tell you. I thought United's quarter was even better. I like these guys. I, I think they all have another 10% in them. Wade in Florida. Wade. Hey, Jim. How you doing today? I am doing well, Wade. How about you? Good, good. I just want to get your thoughts on Zim. Okay. I know Zim. Uh, these stocks are one-way stocks. When they go up, you got to bend them. When they go down, look out. And we're in the lookout phase. How about Steven in New York? Steven. Hey, Jim. I had a question about uh, a stock, SoFi. Now, I've been trying to get into this, but with the fact that it's been at all-time lows and with the interest rate hikes coming up, is this a good time to buy or Wait, here, am I just wasting problem. my time? Here's the problem. I mean, this thing was you know, billed as a way to be able to help on student loans. And when you get rid of your major product, which certainly wasn't their fault, it's very hard to recommend the stock. And that's what's been happening. Let's go to Rick in Oklahoma. Rick. Hi, Jim. Uh, if you don't count the University of Oklahoma show you did a long time ago, I'm a first time, long time. But 2009, Yankees, probably- lo- Yankees had just beaten the, the Phillies, even though uh, Chase had just such an unbelievable se- season. What's up? Well, I'm calling, unfortunately, with a boo-hoo-hoo-yah, because we bought this stock at 77, and you had the CEO on, CEO on a long time ago. Things sounded great. Now we're hearing it's the death of tech. What do I do with Marvell? Okay, Marvell, unlike most of these other companies, is levered to high-performance computing and to 5G technology. Those are the two remaining, the technology, not of the cell phone itself, but the actual technology. Those are the two remaining areas of strength. So that one's been going down along with some others, and it's the one that shouldn't. And we think, as we said in our morning meeting today, that we are looking to buy back the stock we sold. Please do not sell Marvell Technology. Yvonne in Michigan. Yvonne. Hi, Jim. Hi. Bear with me. I'm very nervous talking to my longtime mentor. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm glad you're talking to my longtime uh, viewer. What's up? <laughs> um, my first time caller. Been listening to you since 2008. I get your newsletter and truly appreciate all the Thank good you. information Thank you provide you. for us novice. I'm looking at solid power, SLDP. Uh, energy storage situations are very hard. All you have to do is listen to what, what Musk said last night, and you'll say, you know what, I can't really own that stock, and it's worth listening to. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This has been a tough period for retailers, but there's one apparel play that's been able to buck the trend. Lululemon. Now, I got a terrific chance to interview CEO Calvin McDonald this morning, and he told an incredible story that gave me a tremendous amount of conviction, even in this terrible market. You always hate to get touchy-feely about anything in this business, but McDonald has lapped into the unique sweat community that is Lulu. He recognizes that it's easier to branch out from yoga to sports and running than it is to go the other way. That's why Lulu's going all in on these adjacent areas that will make this retailer even more of a standout thanks to the new hybrid work clothes ethos. Most businesses would fail when going up against, say, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Thanks to Lululemon's immense database, they've been able to leverage artificial intelligence to predict what their customers want. And their associates are great at moving merchandise because they have good relationships with the customer base. So I believe in in McDonald when he says he can go up against these titans. I wouldn't say that very easily about others. 
Now, that's how he can be confident that Lulu will double its total revenue in five years. Doesn't hurt that the company's accelerating its expansion to menswear. And international, by the way, they're just getting started. China could be gigantic for these guys, as will be Europe. In fact, McDonald repeatedly talked about how his brand is still in the early innings of his growth. As he said it over and over again, it was something, something that led J.P. Morgan's Matt Boss to joke that early innings was the theme of the day. But while it sounds crazy, Lulu really is in the early innings. Their unaided brand awareness in the U.S., their core market, is only 25% versus 88% for Nike. So much for saturation. But the thing I was most impressed with, yesterday we saw investors turn their backs on anything subscription-related, correct? That, that anything that pulled lots of new customers during the pandemic, it started with the hate for Netflix. Wow. But it spread to Spotify, Peloton, Zoom, Video. Hmm. Even Disney got hit because of its streaming business. You know what didn't get hit, though? Investors' enthusiasm for Lululemon's $500 million bet on a startup called Mirror, where you work out in front of a cool-looking mirror, you could use it without the workout, that doubles as a screen where you can watch an instructor. The mirror, with a price point north of 1000 bucks, got off to a slow start and was the subject of much derision initially. A lot of people figured this would just go out, out of style, just like uh, Peloton did. Or, 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 as people are eager to go back to the gym, now that COVID is more or less under control. But it turns out a ton of people don't want to go back. And they don't really mind paying $39 a month for instruction via mirror versus about a $25 for an in-person class of someone, by the way, a teacher who may not be as good as the one on the mirror. Of all the presentations made at Lulu's five-hour announcement, I was most impressed with the mirror initiative. I've been the biggest skeptic, which I think will dovetail perfectly with Lou's desire to expand into fitness categories beyond yoga. Here's a subscription model born of the pandemic that may be accelerating in years to come. Of course, Lululemon is not a cheap stock, both, but how many best-of-breed stocks real are that I, I count them on hand these days? What matters here is that management knows their business is much more than being a retailer. I see this something like a giant community with a small town feel. I think it's a huge winner with the new hybrid work outfits that have become the mainstay for both men and women. Plus, because Lulu's got so much else going for it, including the mirror, I find it very easy to believe that this worldwide growth story is still in its early innings. Could be early innings for the stock, too. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.